invite you to turn with me um, in your Bibles to Romans uh, chapter 12, and we will read verses 9 through 21. Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21. Romans 12. Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, pray briefly with me. Father in heaven, would you be generous to us, gracious to us today. Uh, Be uh, generous in bestowing your spirit that you would open up our minds and our hearts to see your word. And Holy Spirit, would you apply it to us? Lord Jesus, we want your work of redemption and merciful salvation, of winning our peace to be vivid in our minds and hearts. So work on us this day, we pray. Amen. Well, each day um, I get an email message from a a group called Word of the Day. Uh, They provide a a new word for each day that's interesting, helpful to to learn, uh, stretch our vocabulary. Uh, Friday, the word was stir-crazy. And that word means restless or frantic because of confinement. I wonder if that fits you in any sense these days. Restless or frantic because of confinement. It may not yet, but as the weeks go by, it just may be soon. You see, a quarantine uh, can increase the pressure in family relationships. There is nowhere to hide. And so a question as we begin this morning is, how are you? How are you doing in this? How is your harmony level at home? Are you losing your cool? 
Are you reacting to one another? Is your tone becoming elevated? How is the peace in your home? Well, our purpose today, as we look just at one verse today, verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Our our purpose then is to do everything we can to live at peace, starting at home, but then also as we're able to be involved with others on the outside, we'll, we'll do that too. But we're working now with living at peace, working at peace for the glory of God. I'm only going to do the first two points of our message today. It became clear to me yesterday afternoon that it just wasn't going to work to do all three. So we're we're going to look today at at valuing peace uh, because God does and maintaining peace even when it's hard. Value peace because God does. Don't you love Psalm 133? Enjoy the harmony and peace that you receive from God, the God of peace. It is good and pleasant when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. Seek it, pursue it, enjoy it. Now, when we think about harmony or we think about peace, it's not just the absence of conflict. Uh, You can live together in the home and you may not argue. Um, but the air can still be a little chilly. And you can still sort of make a wide berth around one another just because things aren't settled. There is an unrest. So you can look peaceful uh, while you're avoiding what you should be talking about. And when people live this way, relationships, marriages, families wither and, and can die because people aren't pursuing and living in peace. Uh, I I want you to flip over with me to um, Ephesians chapter 2. We are are called to enjoy uh, the blood-bought harmony that Christ wins for us. He himself is our peace, this passage says. And I want to pick up in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 2. and take, Take a look, read along with me there. Ephesians Two in the middle of 15 down through 17. Um, he would create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. And in this context, it is, it is the Jew and the Gentile. That he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. Now, this is a message that the church in Rome really needed to hear right about the time that Paul was writing to them. They were a vulnerable little outpost of the kingdom of God. The Jews of the Diaspora had left, many had left Palestine, and many had congregated there in Rome, and as the gospel came into the synagogue, the synagogue was rocked and a church was formed. Mostly Jewish at the beginning. 
And then there was the persecution, the emperor's persecution, and Jews, including Jewish Christians, were driven out of the city. But a few years later, that, uh, that ban was lifted and many came back uh, to that church, back to, back to Rome and to that church. And they walked into a church that was radically different than the church that they had left. The preacher was now a, was now a Gentile. The head deacon was a Gentile. Everything was different. The songs were different. The music was different. The fellowship meal even smelled different with all of the ethnicities that were there. It was a rough time. And so Paul said at the beginning of this letter in Romans, he sends this letter in order that that the obedience of faith, the obedience that comes from, from knowing Christ who has won our peace, that obedience of faith would be, would be spread out among the nations and God's name would be honored from the nations so that we would get the peace of God and that we would display the peace of God to the nations. That was the message, that was the purpose of Paul writing to Rome. It is the purpose for our, our living here as well in this place. And therefore... How we respond and relate to one another means something. It means a great deal. Every divorce in the church of Jesus Christ that is not occasioned by, by the godly or the appropriate or the legitimate means is, is showing the world that Christ is weak and Christians are no different from anyone else. Every time in the church there is an abuse of leadership by, by the most vulnerable members of the church, and the church is ripped apart by sin and often by cover-up initially, it shows that the church is not fundamentally different from the world, and so we must strive for godly peace. Walk in the obedience of faith for the glory of the name of God among the nations. All right. Value peace then because God does. And we must value peace and not settle for what we might call fake peace or the appearance of peace or peace or a veneer of peace. We must work at legitimate, at legitimate and gospel peace. Now, people handle disruption, uh, in, uh, of peace, uh, differently. Um, I, I noticed that very much in uh, in our own home. Uh, some uh, would would rather ignore it or at least not deal with it right away, and that would be me. And uh, and my wife is far more attentive. If there's something wrong, she wants to get at it right now. And I said, no, 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 I haven't finished sulking. Give me a little bit more time. Well, some can't ignore when peace has been disrupted. They can't settle for fake peace. Some find it easier to avoid uh, conflict altogether, so they would ignore problems. They don't try to resolve them, and they think of it as peace. And so children can grow up in homes where families don't resolve problems and they just pretend that everything is all fine and they choose just not to look at things, not deal with them. And the family then has a shared commitment to the practice of believing and acting as if let's just leave sleeping dogs to lie there. Let sleeping dogs lie. Now, what is the problem with that? Multiple problems with that. One problem with that is that dogs wake up. 
And you will find that in a conflict that you may, have, may be having today. Something could be brought up for that happened six months ago or six years ago. We cannot glorify God or live peaceably together by simply ignoring things that would divide. We are to, as the scripture says here, love what God loves, hate what is evil, and cling to what is good. One question that I enjoy asking couples or, or even people coming for pre-marriage counseling, I, I ask them the question, um, how did your, handle, er, your parents handle conflict? And you usually get a pretty quick chuckle and, oh yeah, I know that. Uh, they, either, they either just dealt with stuff by blowing up at each other and, and just, just running other people down, or, or they simply ignored things and didn't deal with them at all. They tried to avoid any, any issue that would, be, would, be, uh, would provide tension. So we want to pursue what Christ died for when he came to secure peace for us. And, and I want you to turn back with me to Leviticus chapter 19. Uh, where this is, a, I'm thinking about love must be genuine. Love must be genuine. We must avoid, um, uh, if we avoid honest talk when we should be having those conversations, it is actually hating the other person. Look with me at, at Leviticus 19 and verse 18. You shall not, verse 17, uh, you, shall, uh, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but instead you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. So an honest sharing of, of difficulties and seeking to solve problems and bringing th- something to someone else's attention out of love and a concern for peace and unity, it doesn't destroy peace, it builds peace. And so, of course, we, we don't, uh, we don't, if we don't seek out a brother and a sister, but instead harbor grudges, that love turns to hatred and people can justify walking out of relationships and walking out of marriages and so forth. So Paul says, pursue genuine peace. Now, the second point is that that's hard to do. To ma- we, we are called to maintain peace, and it's hard to do that. And so we, we maintain peace, especially when it's hard. And these words from Ephesians chapter 4, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's verse 4. Verse 2 tells you how. Humbly, with gentleness, and patience, and bearing with one another. So maintain peace, even when it's hard. We are called to be a forbearing people. So we would forbear in our relationships with one another when it is possible to do so. The Shorter Catechism uh, reminds us that we do sin daily against one another in thought and word and deed. Most of these sins are not of, of flagrant wickedness, but they are of perhaps a disrespectful tone 
a flash of defensiveness and hostility, a critical, a critical word that we might give to another, or complaining against God. Now, are we called to point out every single time the people in our life, those closest to us, have a sin in that way? It would make every day a battleground. No, we are to forbear when possible. And forbear means to forgive the other without saying anything, without bringing it up, without pointing out the problem. It is covering over with love, even as God has done with us. If He showed us every one of our sins, the exposure would destroy us instantly. And so He calls us to cover over a multitude of sins with that same love. Well, what then do you bring up? What are you supposed to deal with each other if, you're, if you really want uh, to arrive at that peace? Sometimes well, another sin will be disturbing to you and you can't let go. You can't, you can't just cover it over. Four, four ways in which, or four things to be attentive to to help us discern when it is we are to bring something up to another person. And the first thing is, if it is dishonoring to God. If it's dishonoring to God. Using the Lord's name in vain is the obvious one. It's an important one. Even in the church, it's important to do. But also, some can be embittered against God and complain against Him just because things aren't going the way they want. And there's a, there's a sense of living without any sense that God is sovereign and good. And that kind of speech is dishonors Him. And, and you must deal with that in an appropriate and humble way. This, so it's, it's the speech is dishonoring to God. If it, is, if it is damaging to the relationship, there is a harshness. There, there is a, a, a nagging that just tears at any sense of enjoyment, of unity, because of, of that attitude that is so critical. You must bring that up, again, in the appropriate way. If, there, if someone is being hurt by this sin, we think easily and quickly of a parent's anger where, where kids are, are torn down in speech or even physically, and, and that must be confronted. And, and kids, that's why your parents call you out when you are hitting or, or, or name-calling, and, and they, they, they realize that what you're doing is harming others. And so God's, God calls them to love you enough and love you appropriately by bringing that to you. And the fourth thing, dishonoring to God or damaging to relationships or hurting others. And the fourth thing is, is whether the offender, him or herself, is hurt. Whether that sin brings pain or some, some uh, form of, of uh, harm to the offender. You rescue. You rescue. So you forbear when possible, but you also speak when necessary. This passage is, is so interesting in, in, in Romans. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace, live peacefully with all. It may not be possible. And you may be sitting here and saying, I know it's not possible to live at peace with that person. I'm angry. I cannot make peace. I'm hurt. I'm resentful. I'm exhausted of even trying. So it's not possible. 
Well, that is really missing the point of what the apostle is saying. It's not saying that you might be unable. It's if the other person refuses. So we at no time give up on the goal of pursuing peace on our end. We at no time give up the goal of pursuing peace in so far as it depends on us. And let me give you great encouragement here, people, that at no time will God withhold his peace from you as you seek to pursue peace with others. At no point will God withhold his grace as you seek to pursue peace. It is sobering, and it's important to realize that sometimes it is simply not possible to be at peace. It is not possible to be at peace. Jesus couldn't carry it out. The Prince of Peace also brought with him separation even within families. And his teaching got him murdered. Paul knew that peace was not always possible. He was beaten, stoned, and left for dead. And the principle that we can derive from this is that we can't live a righteous life without bringing offense to some. Words that we may say. Our example can be can create pressure in another person's life. We cannot live a righteous life without offending some. I want to refer to some teaching from John Murray on this. I think it is so very important. And, and he says uh, that we, we, we simply may not, do not give up the goal of truth, honesty, and holiness. Don't let go of those three-point truth, honesty, and holiness. Do not settle for fake peace at the expense of holiness. Do not settle for false peace where people prefer darkness. You pursue honesty and truth and holiness. Once again from John Murray, there is no circumstance in which our efforts to preserve and promote peace may be suspended. Pretty strong. You can't let it go. He goes on to say, if peace means agreeing with sin or encouraging sin, then peace must be sacrificed. We must be willing to disturb the peace or what people want to project as peace for the sake of truth, honesty, and holiness. Martin Luther famously put it this way, peace if possible, truth in any case. Peace if possible, but not at the expense of holiness and honesty. R.C. Sproul um, adds something I think very important here is that it is, it is one thing to give offense to someone else, but it is another thing for a person to take offense at what you do. You may try to help. You may try to be a truth teller in the life of somebody that's close to you. They don't want to see it. They can't see it. They don't want to. And you may, you may um, get blowback from them. 
And you may think because they're offended that the fault is yours. And that can create a sense of guilt, a sense of fear, of being paralyzed, of not being able really to do anything about it, just don't know what to do. And yet you must remember that you can package truth well and some will still refuse it in any case. So don't take responsibility where you shouldn't if someone reacts to you, but take responsibility where you must. We desperately need the ministry of the Holy Spirit for wisdom and humility. We must, in in crying out to the Lord and maybe getting help from someone else to see, is peace broken because they have a problem and don't want to deal with it? Or because I have a problem and I don't want to admit it? So difficult. We are so dependent on the Holy Spirit. Probe my heart and give me the courage of taking responsibility for what I need to. Calvin puts it this way, be courteous. In in this whole context of, of peacemaking, be courteous, but not to the point of compliance. Don't be tempted by flattery. Don't be tempted to just turn a blind eye. Don't be tempted to just say, oh, I just can't ruffle any feathers. He says, fight courageously for righteous peace. And so we say, Spirit, give me all the grace grace I need in order to be courteous and courageous. Well, one great way to um, avoid unrest in our relationships together One great way is to choose what our larger catechism calls a charitable judgment. When there is a circumstance that you're observing, you know, we can tend to think negatively about it. We, we can enter a situation with preloaded assumptions of why people do what they do. And we can filter everything through this negative filter. And, and we might say, well, I, we can read their minds. We know what they're thinking. We know why they're doing what they're doing. And then we treat them as if that is the case, as if we do know how to read them. We... So I, you've heard people say this. Well, she avoided me. She didn't look at me. And she did it on purpose. And, and so that's why I'm avoiding her. Now, what would it mean to, to have a charitable judgment? She's, her mind was elsewhere. She was thinking about something else. She's hurting, she's suffering, and she's going through something. And she needs your attention. Your care. And so you think the best. This is a charitable judgment. You respond with kindness as you think the best. Well, dearly loved children of God, God the Son died to bring you peace. And He gives us that filter, that gospel filter that enables us to see people with mercy, to see people with kindness, to see people in whom the Spirit of God is at work and we're able to move, move toward them and, and with them, as Ephesians says, with, with patience and gentleness and peace, that God may work His holy will in them. Let us pray.
God and Father, we are humbled before You today as we, as we consider Your uh, great work of bringing us into a peaceful relationship with You. And we pray, O oh God, that You would enable us in our homes, in our close relationships, to reflect that same peace to be those willing and pursuing um, relationships that are clean and honest and humble, that we may reflect to the world the beauty of the gospel. Lord, deepen this peacemaking purpose within our families. If we tend to be those who explosively deal with things, God, humble us and help us to see ourselves first. If we're those who um, would rather run away from problems than deal with them, God, let us um, be humble before you. And Spirit, show us when we would prefer uh, fake peace to real peace. Lord, we want to be a church. We want our families to be more and more uh, little communities that display the glory of the grace of, of the Lord Jesus Christ to our world. Amen. Amen.